Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Hamden Roar podcast, probably the final one of 2020, but the first of a little mini-series, I suppose, between now and June. Once a month or so, we'll be taking a look at the squad pecking order for the European Championship. Who is on the plane, who is in the departure lounge, who is waiting by the phone, and who should be booking their summer holidays. With me, as usual, is Tartan Scarf blogger Gordon Sheach and Scottish Football Supporters Association writer Ben Ramage. Fellas, I'd like to get our nails really dirty here, and <laughs> I won't demand order in this court, okay? It's good to have you both with us on the Skype again. Before we discuss the squad, though, let's have a quick chat about the World Cup qualifiers. When we last recorded, the fixture list hadn't been released. We're now aware of when and where we'll be taking on Denmark, Austria, Israel, Faroe Islands and Moldova. I'm sure everyone has been doing it in their own head. How can Scotland navigate themselves safely through this group and onto the World Cup? We start off with Austria at home. Gordon Shea, you've got hypothetical permutations coming out your ears. Tell us about them. Yes, I do. I do. You know, I just think it's really important before we go into this group, we have to sort of frame the debate of what is success going to look like in this group. And, you know, I think automatically, generally with World Cup qualifying, because there's so few places up for grabs, you think about, you finish runner-up, you get in the playoff, and that's successful. That's us a step closer to qualifying for the World Cup. But I'm going to make the argument right now that I actually don't think that's the way for us to qualify. I think we've got a better chance of qualifying for the World Cup by winning this group. Now, that's not to say that we will, but I'm just saying our best chance, I think, is winning the group. Now, So, so, you'd, ba- so you'd back us, Gordon, to finish top of this group more is more probable than finishing second and then getting through the playoffs subsequently. I think so. I think so because you have to bear in mind that these Euro 2020 playoffs now we use the same format in terms of a four-team playoff path with a one-leg semi, a one-leg final. But the one for the Euros, it didn't play out like it was supposed to. And if it goes back to where it should be, what you're talking about is you're talking about winning a playoff semi-final in March 2021 and then four days later going to play a final to qualify for the World Cup. Now, 
you look at the sort of teams we might be up against, you run through the teams that are likely to be runners-up in their groups. You're talking about teams like Serbia, Sweden, Switzerland, Ukraine, Wales, maybe Turkey or Norway from Group G, Slovakia or Russia from Group H, Poland in Group I, and then Romania or Iceland in Group J. Now, I don't know. I mean, the prospect of winning one massively high-pressure game against one of those teams and then doing exactly the same thing four days later. I mean, think about where we were as a team immediately after beating Israel. Now imagine that we would have had to go to Belgrade four days later, just the, the emotional and physical drain of those two huge games, and we'd probably be facing stronger teams in this World Cup playoffs. So for me, the prospect of 10 games over a calendar year to get ahead of Denmark and Austria, I think that's a far more attractive prospect than two massively high-profile games in a week to qualify. So we start off as a fairly fairly difficult start, to be honest. It's Austria at home and then Israel away. We have had trouble there um, against them recently. What is acceptable then from the first two games is Austria at home straight away must win. I'm not sure if you'd call it must win. I think certainly against Austria and Denmark, I think we have to have at least... Uh, a level balance at the end of the group so in terms of if we draw then we either win or draw away from home and vice versa with uh, with Denmark so I think it's essential that we don't lose that first game against Austria and then you're really looking at probably having to go to Israel and win but then you look at Israel's first three they come to us in Glasgow then they have the Faroe Islands at home which you'd expect to win but then they've got Denmark at home so they have to play two two of the top three seeds in the first in the first group, so if they if they don't win more than one of those games, they're already behind the curve. Ben, how do you feel about this? Is our best chance winning the group rather than settling for playoffs? I think it's really optimistic to say about winning the group. I don't think we've done that for a hell of a long time. It would obviously be the ideal scenario. You know, there's no pressure playoffs. Um, if we have to go through the playoffs, then we have at least proven that we can do it, albeit we had a bit more time in between them. But that would also be the same case for whoever we were playing. You know, it's going to be the same for both teams. Um, looking at the fixtures, when you said about what we need from the first couple, I would say we need a, a win from those. If we have any concept, um, you know, notion of winning the group, Austria and Israel are, you know, second and and uh, third and fourth seeds. So. You know, to me, we're going to need to win one of those games. Um, Austria at home, I know it's difficult, but if we really want to lay down a marker, then it would be great to get a win, obviously, in that one and, and kickstart the campaign. Um, looking later on, you know, we've got Moldova away, which was the one that caught my eye the second last game. That's got a bit of a banana skin written all over it. And then Denmark at home, which, you know, imagine if it goes down to the wire and that's the last game. I mean, it'll be exciting, but God, that'll be nervous. Yes, massive, absolutely massive. The, the Denmark away and Austria away games in the September bracket could really be make or break. If we have a good start to this campaign in March and pick up, say, six or seven points from Austria at home, Israel away, and then the Pharaohs at home, that's a not, not bad, pretty good start. I'd like to think we can go through that uh, with seven points, though. I think that has to be at least the end. And then... Yeah. In the September bracket, we have Denmark away and Austria away, either side of Moldova at home. Gordon, you think that that Moldova home match is of huge importance in between those two? I think it is. I think it's definitely the game you would want 
in between those two those two games, certainly. You know, I mean, big, tough away games. We saw certainly in the last couple of months what travelling for a triple header can do to a team. So I think being able to come back to Hamden, hopefully in front of a crowd in September, against what will be one of the weakest sides in the group and hopefully get a comfortable win, that can then give us the springboard of confidence to go to Austria and get a result. But, you know, you talk about September being important. October is also important, but you look at um, look at Austria's fixtures, for example. So once they've played those first three games, four out of their next five games are away from home. They play Moldova away, Israel away, then us at home in September. Then they've got Pharaohs away in October and Denmark away in October. So again, you know, part of me is just thinking, I'm looking at this fixture list and maybe I'm just willing Austria to be dropping points, but I can see them not starting the best, you know. And something we brought up, we we brought up in the last podcast was that. Austria effectively through their Nations League placing, they have a playoff in their back pocket from day one. So if they do get off to that slow start, might that affect their intensity and all those away games, you know, that it's going to be critical for them. Do we need to pick up a couple of points, do you reckon, away to Denmark and Austria? Yeah, I think I think as as I said earlier, I think to get ahead of Denmark and Austria, I just think we need a positive balance out of our games against them you know it's probably going to come down to something of a mini league in our games between Denmark Austria and Israel I think I've got a funny feeling the group could get decided by who drops points to Israel because Israel have shown in recent seasons that that they can take they can take home point home wins you know they've, they've beaten Scotland twice at home they've beaten Albania they've beaten Austria at home since 2018 so I think it's essential that we take six points from them and then even if, even if we're drawing games against Austria and Denmark, I, I could be comfortable with that, just so long as we're not losing. I think that the the games against Denmark and Austria are of they are the most important games in the group. I think if we can take points from them away from home, we're we're putting ourselves in a strong position. But after that September bracket, the October ones are Israel at home, Faroe Islands away, and then the first game of the November. Uh, uh, the November games is Moldova at home so we have three games in a row Israel at home and then the Pharaohs in Moldova away so even if we do slightly slip up maybe against Denmark or Austria in September what an opportunity Ben with Israel at home and then the Pharaohs in Moldova away to get nine points on the board and back on track before Denmark in the final game yeah absolutely again it's we've seen in previous qualifying campaigns that the away trips to the smaller teams aren't always as simple as they look um, especially when the pressure's on. So I think it's important that we have a decent balance going into that October break. Um, we don't. I wouldn't really want us to have to win every single one. Obviously, if it comes to that, then we'll have to go for it. But I, I, I'm worried about that Moldova away, just in terms of the significance, if we're really desperate for a win to have any chance going into the Denmark game. But like you say about the Denmark and the Australia Austria game, sorry, at home being the most important, I think it's good that we've got Austria home first and then Denmark home last. I think that's quite a nice way to bookend it. You know, if you if you were picking the most important games, if we could get six points from those, that would be massive. Um, so I think maybe having that home advantage, that you know, that that could be crucial coming into this. Gordon, is it is it is it acceptable at all to be worried about picking up a result in Moldova? Um, I think. Historically, you obviously can't rule that out. I mean, we discussed on previous podcasts, you know, when we looked at our record against the bottom two seeds in qualifying, that since qualifying for France 98, we've only taken full points once in one qualifying campaign, you know. And I think 
looking also at the history and the context around these things, we can't underestimate how difficult this is going to be. I know I'm talking about our best chance is winning this group. I can't underestimate to you how difficult that is going to be. So what I did, because I clearly have no life, is I've looked at, I've looked at every single qualifying campaign for every European team since World Cup 98, right? And I've looked. And at you're still engaged. <laughs> Tell me about it. She, she, she puts up with me. And I've looked at the points that every runner-up in those groups have gotten, in, in, in 16 groups, because we are in a 16 group, so I've looked at every 16 qualifying group and how many points it took to finish runner-up, because we need to finish at least runner-up to get the playoff. And every year, a team will finish second with, say, 17, 16, 18 points. Sometimes it takes up to 24, 25, 26, 27 points to finish second. But the average over that whole period this century is 21 points to finish second. Now, if we use that as a benchmark, that's actually something we've not done since qualifying for the World Cup in 1998. You know, we've been in six team groups in qualifying, one, two, three, four, five, six times since uh, 1998, and our points totals have been 18, 13, 11, 15, 18, 15. So, as I said, you can't underestimate how hard it's going to be to get 21 points out of this group. Okay, we'll, we'll finish off this little section by just briefly going over what we expect to happen in the first three and what is acceptable. Ben, it's Austria at home, Israel away, and then the Pharaohs at home. What are you looking at from from that from from those three fixtures and saying that will do? I think if we if we have any chance of winning the group, I'd say we'd need seven. I would say we should be beating the Pharaohs at home, obviously, Israel away. I would love a win there. It would be great to get a win there. And then Austria can even be a draw at home um, in, the, in the opener. You know, I think seven points for me would be a minimum if we're really, if we have real, you know, ambition to win the group. Um, you know, I could see us getting nine. I could see us getting six. I could see us losing away to Israel, to be honest. But if we could win both the home games and six isn't the worst start. So six or seven points, I think, is the minimum that we need from those openers. Gordon, seven points seems to be the consensus here between Ben and I. What about you? And if it is seven points, is are, are the dropped points likely to come, in your opinion, at home to Austria or away to Israel? I think I, I think that if we're going to drop points, it would have to come at home to Austria in terms of a draw because we, we certainly can't lose to we certainly can't lose to Austria. Um, and as as I said earlier, I've just got this funny feeling that whoever comes out on top in this group will take six points from Israel. So it's it's going to be essential that we go to we go to Israel and just banish any talk of because I'm worried that we're turning them into Georgia again, and it just becomes a self fulfilling prophecy for everybody that oh we're playing Israel we can't beat them. Of course we can. They're not actually that good a team. Like we can have a good plan, we can win on the day. So yeah, my, I, I agree. We need seven. My worry with Israel is that they have the forwards. They're not like a, a normal sort of lesser team that you would say that they don't really have the attacking threats. I would say that Israel really do, and that's probably why they have such a good chance of beating someone at home if their forwards click. And we've seen that it, they can do it against us. So that's that's my main worry with Israel is just that attacking threat that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the the main section of the podcast then. Now we're going to discuss who are likely to be, or who probably are the certainties for Steve Clark's squad, the ones who are on the cusp, the ones who are on outer orbit, and the ones who probably aren't in contention. 
Now, how, how would you like to do this, guys? Would you like to go through a positional order, start with the keepers and onto the centre-halves and so on, or would you rather start with who's on the plane and then onto who's in the departure lounge and go through it like that? I think I would do it by position, because then you're comparing apples and apples the whole way. Okay. That makes sense. I like right. that. Okay, then. let's. Uh, we've all written down our uh, preferences and, and who we think may be a certainty in the squad, etc., as I just mentioned. So let's go with the goalkeepers, first of all. David Marshall, on the plane. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. No qualms. Scotland wins got... player of the year this year. Just absolutely, today. okay. Well earned. Um, and then... We move on to some other names. Uh, Craig Gordon, John McLaughlin, young Robbie McCrory's had a taste of being called up. Uh, Liam Kelly, not really in the picture at QPR at the moment. Uh, are any of those on the plane, Gordon, or do you think that the other two positions for goalkeeper, assuming that Clark takes three, are up for grabs? Well, I think I think we'll have to take three. I, th- I think that's the, that's the only thing. I mean, obviously we've we've never had to pick a Euro squad before, but I'm pretty sure in these things the the only thing it di- dictates is that you must take three goalkeepers. Um, I I don't think anyone else has got their name name on the plane apart from David Marshall for me. I think I think obviously Craig Gordon, if he's had a really great season um, at Hearts, then he's a great very experienced goalkeeper to have, lots of caps, great guy, he probably deserves it for career achievement. And then third choice keeper always seems to be a bit of a wild card. If you can afford to take one player in your squad for almost a jolly, that's kind of it, your third choice keeper. For that, I'd like to see maybe a younger keeper, possibly a McCrory, as I kind of get an experience of what it's like going to major finals with Scotland and hopefully he'd come back as a first choice in later years. Ben, how have you ranked the keepers? Yeah, so I've got Marshall and I've got Gordon on the plane as well. I think for the amount of caps he's got, I think I know he's playing in a championship, but he's also proved, you know, in the Scottish Cup this season already that you know the class is permanent. He's he's a he's a phenomenal goalie. Selig should never really let him go. Um, and yeah, for me, the experience he has, I think he, I think he's on the plane, and I would take McCrory as well. As um, Gordon said, as, as a younger keeper, you know, why not? Let's let's get him some experience. You know, let's build him up. Um, he looks a talent, he looks good he's got plenty of time on his side so I would have him as the third choice Okay, I've actually got the three keepers on the plane Um, I don't think there's much room for leeway I've got Marshall, number one goalkeeper and the other two I've gone for are Craig Gordon and John McLaughlin For me, McCrory, not yet he's not in the Livingston team he he, he was Mm. dropped earlier in the season he's not forced his way back into it Um, and I think that if one of them it's unlikely but should David Marshall get injured, we're only a red card away for for, for a goalkeeper for the third one having to be used. Um, and I'd rather have somebody who's been playing at a good level, like John McLaughlin. I know he's not Rangers' first choice, but he's been getting games in the Cups and in uh, the league as well. Um, it, it, I think he's in double figures for appearances for Rangers this season anyway. Um, so and, and Gerard has also acknowledged... Um, that knowing that the Euros are coming in the summer that he wants to give McLaughlin the opportunity to to get into the squad so he will afford them game time between now and the end of the season so for me I'm going as uh, as sure as I can I, I don't trust Robbie McCrory yet um, and the other one that I've, I've actually got McCrory and Craig McGilvery um, by the plane just in case there's an injury to one of the ones that I've got on the plane yeah by the phone, sorry, um, just yeah. in case there's an injury for Marshall, Gordon or McLaughlin, in my eyes. Yeah, 
and and then, and then of course if, if, if Scott Bain can force his way back as self oh, yeah, yeah. he'll come he'll come under consideration as well but he, yeah. he'd be sitting by the phone for me as well yeah yeah okay let's move on to the centre halves now we, we think that probably there will be five or six taken um, two for each position maybe and now we did discuss on a previous podcast I can't remember actually if it was on or off record um, before we were recording that we think that there may only be one out and out left back in Andy Robertson and Tierney picked as a centre half with the caveat of being able to deputise for Robertson should Robertson be injured or suspended so in that instance Ben who do you have as on the plane for centre halves so I've got McTominay squeezing him in as a centre back obviously a midfielder but he's always been played at centre back so I imagine that will be the capacity he takes and I've got Gallagher and I've got Cooper as well um, I think they're the three that I would say pretty much stick on for their for what they've done uh, recently so you're including Tierney in the fullback selection I um, I, I do feel that's his best position but I feel like as he's on the plane I just feel like that's fine he can he can play centre back or he can play left back Um you know, that's the beauty of, like we've said about before, you know, players that can play two positions will be even handier in such a small squad uh, going into the tournament. Gordon, who do you have on the plane for your centre-half picks? Yep, I've, I've got four centre-backs on the plane right now. Um, so I've got McTominay, Gallagher, Cooper, and I've got Tierney in his centre-back. But I think, uh, alluding to what Ben was saying there, when, whenever I've pieced together my 23-man squad, and if any of you have... Uh, at home have, have pulled out your pad and paper and tried to just put the names together it gets really difficult really quickly and I think what you're going to have to see is players that can tick multiple boxes so yeah I think Tierney being a backup fullback and starting centre-back McTominay being a backup centre-mid and a starting centre-back I just think that's you're looking for players that have got that flexibility Gordon uh, you and me same my friend I've got McTominay Gallagher Cooper and Tierney and centre-half options in the departure lounge Trying to get on the plane for me are Scott McKenna and Grant Hanley. Gordon, are you of similar mind or different? I am, yeah, yeah, absolutely, exactly the same names. Um, obviously, Hanley was just brought back in to the last squad. Obviously, he had to pull straight back out again with injury, but he's still a young man. He's still he's still got a lot of football ahead of him, and he's still been playing really well for, for North City, so I see no reason why you'd take him out. And Scott McKenna seems to have settled pretty well at Nottingham, so, yeah, I'm more than happy to have both those guys. Just to reiterate for for any listener that might be a bit confused, we're not saying that those in the departure lounge wouldn't be in our squad. We just don't think that they are as certain to be included in the squad as those that we are listing on the plane. So although Hanley and McKenna have been in squads recently, I don't think they're as much of, as a guarantee um, as, for example, Gallagher, Cooper, McTominay, Tierney, etc. Yeah. Ben, who do you have in the departure lounge uh, under the heading centre-half? So I've got McKenna and I've got Andy Considine as well. Uh, I think that uh, Clark really rates him. I think he's done really well when he's come in. You know, the tournament is not that far away now, so I know he's uh, an older head, but he's got plenty of experience. Um, I'm not confident enough to put him on the plane yet, but if he goes and has a good season with Aberdeen, I I wouldn't be that worried about him coming on. Um, I I wouldn't expect him to start at all, but I think he'd be perfectly capable uh, to come in. If the, if the numbers uh, required, I don't see the centre backs being changed that much unless there's an injury. So, 
I, yeah, I'd be quite happy with Considine um, being a sort of fourth or fifth choice centre-back. Gordon, Andy Considine is by the phone for me. What do you think? Yeah, the same for me. I, th- I think he's just that bit further down the pecking order. I think it would take quite a remark, either a remarkable run of form from, for Considine between now and the end of the season or injuries to players ahead of him for him to force his way through. Um, for me, sitting by the phone, I've got also I've got Devlin, Findlay and Porteous as well. Um, and then I've got Suter as more of a wild card, um, but looking unlikely for him. I'm sending Devlin and Findlay on their summer holidays, I'm afraid. <laughs> Not interested. And uh, by the phone, and I had to try hard for this. Um, I, I've put Porteous on the basis that I think that Clark quite likes him. For me, not ready. But I think that he will be a name that is hanging around the squad come April time, especially if Hibs have had a good season. By the phone, I also have David Bates and Jack Hendry over Mm -hmm. in Belgium at the moment. They're playing for mid-table teams. David Bates is with Circle Bruges, uh, Jack Hendry with Ustende. They're both um, just under the halfway point in the table. I don't think they'll be included, but I think if we're talking about Porteous um, and Finlay yeah. and Mickey yeah, Devlin, and I think it's fair to include those two as well. Ben, do you have any other names? No, I think I had Hanley by the phone. Um, I think the, the thought of uh, Porteous going up against England and Croatia just gives me the absolute fear. I just think that is an accident waiting to happen. Uh, you know, I'll hold my hands up if he really improves over the rest of the season, but for me, he is nowhere near ready for international level football to play at centre half. Yeah, I think um, I think I think what's in, what's really interesting for me is that you know, and I've said this to you guys on on our our chat off air that what I find fascinating about the Scotland squad right now is that in previous years we've often touted players just because well he's good, he's scoring goals, get him in the squad, get him get him on the pitch and that's as simple as things get and I don't know this this feels like one of the first times in my Scotland following life that you feel like you know exactly what Clark's tactical plan is you feel like you know what the requirements are for each player in each position so we can almost look at players as if how they're going to fit in this system so I think the reason why maybe I'm, I'm thinking about Porteous is because you look at that back three you've got the centre back does a lot of the blocking and clearing and then the two centre backs on either side are sort of a mirror of one another in terms of they seem to be quite nice ball-playing centre-backs that can play the ball out of defence, the left-sided player being left-footed and the right-sided player being right-footed. And other than McTominay, I just I just don't know who else fills that position in terms of being a right-sided, right-footed, nice-on-the-ball centre-back. So uh, that, that for me is why Porteous is, is in the conversation. Right Potent- potentially Jack Hendry, I think he's right-footed, but I think that's why he took a lot of criticism here. He was... Um, maybe too nice on the ball for a centre half, and that you know that didn't really fit the the narrative of of what a Scottish centre half should be like. Is that changed now? Well, it's, it looks to be. You know, I mean, you can you can watch Scotland play, and you look at the way that Scott McTominay will step up into midfield and play the ball with his range of passing. He can whip balls into forward players, and Kieran Tierney as well is just as adept on the ball. So, you know, we we are turning into quite a nice little ball playing football team it's not just about hack it and hoof it from our defenders you know Clark is looking for more so yeah I'm moving open to that I have uh, arranged an appointment at the travel agent for Liam Lindsay 
of Stoke City in the English Championship and also Coventry City centre-half duo Dominic Hyam and Michael Rose. I think that they are very much on the outskirts. Um, names maybe to keep an eye on um, going forward, but at the moment probably not in contention unless they have stellar seasons down south. Yeah, um, or, or, or unless, I mean, to be honest, I, th- I think a lot of these players that we're talking about in terms of being on the fringes, if they're not involved come March, we can basically scratch them off, I think, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I feel like they, if anyone new is going to come into this group, they have to be integrated in these March World Cup qualifiers, and if not, I, I just can't see it. Yep, I would yep. agree with that. Fullbacks on the plane, Andy Robertson and Stephen O'Donnell, do either of you want to expand on those names? I don't have O'Donnell on the on the plane quite yet. I I, I, imagine, I imagine that he will be, given the the amount of caps he's now got. You know, the experience he's got, the fact that Clark would hang his hat on him. I would imagine that he would. I've got Robbo and KT as the fullbacks at the moment. I've got O'Donnell and Palmer in the departure lounge. I'm just not sure if there's only room for one of them. I'm not sure which one will actually get the nod. Um, I'm not quite sure which one Clark's going to go for. So I've just I've just got them nervously waiting for the, the call. <laughs> the other thing with O'Donnell is he doesn't have a team come January. Um, you know, he's not on a long-term contract at Motherwell. So yeah. if he doesn't get a team, I'm sure he will get a team. But we're not sure where he's actually going to be playing his football. And that is going to have a big impact on whether he's going to the Euros or not, for me. That's a fair point. Gordon, what about you? Yeah, I, I'm the same as yourself, Andy. I've got Andy Robertson and Stephen O'Donnell on the plane. Um, I've got Liam Palmer in the departure lounge. Uh, I, I know I, I have spoken highly about Liam Palmer in the past. I've, I have felt like when he's played for Scotland, he's always impressed me. But Palmer pulled out of a squad injured recently. O'Donnell came in, and I just feel like it's O'Donnell's shirt to lose now at right back. And as I said earlier, I think I think Tierney will end up being the backup left back to Andy Robertson to allow for more players elsewhere. Yeah, for me, it is O'Donnell's jersey to lose at right wing back. Andy Robertson is will be in possession of the left wing back one for as long as he wants. Uh, I've got Palmer in the departure lounge as well. Part of the reason for that is I wonder if Aaron Hickey can put some pressure on him um, to be included at right back. Now he's he's only played nine or ten games for Bologna over in Italy at the moment, and I don't think where you play your football should have an automatic bearing on your selection. I think you have to be playing well at where you're where you're playing to to have a claim to be in the squad. But if Hickey, who is went over there and started getting game time pretty much immediately, can kick on and by the time we reach February, he's having a good season for Bologna, who are I think a pretty much a mid table Serie A team. Does he have to be included in the conversation for, if not the Euros at that point, the, the March qualifiers? Yeah, I've got him by the phone at, at the moment. Um, I've actually got a friend from Bologna that is a massive Bologna fan, and he was delighted when Hickey signed because he just thought it was tremendous that they were getting a Scottish player. Um, and I spoke to him about him, and he said that he's been blown away. Um, he says that he's well, he plays a lot of way beyond his years, which I think you saw at Hearts, you know, when he was playing cup final against Celtic at 18-19 and he did not look phased at all and from little bits that I've seen of him playing in Serie A it looks like a similar similar thing he's got that sort of Billy Gilmore sort of confidence where he's just like it doesn't matter how young I am I'm just going to play this is how I play and he, he he said that he looks very good going forward but sometimes a little bit suspect defensively um, if he's going to play fullback for Scotland I think you're probably far up enough that you can maybe get away with that um, I, I think 
if he gets another 10, 20 games in Serie A by the time the Euros come around, I, w- I would say that he would have to be involved. Could he be bumped up to the departure lounge, Gordon? Yeah, certainly, certainly. And I, I completely agree with you. You know, he's gone over and everyone was absolutely fascinated with what was going to happen to him, that he's going to a, a Serie A club. You know, it's so so 90s to go to the Serie A. <laughs> but, you know, to, to my understanding, he he got into the first team really because when he arrived, there were some injuries to more established uh, left-backs yeah. at the club. Yeah. Um, but he got first-choice first-team football and he's, he's flourished. He's absolutely flourished in playing it. And um, obviously, I think he tested positive for COVID last week, I think. So, fingers crossed, he's able to shake that off pretty easily. But as you said, Andy, you know, if he's playing decent football at that kind of level in one of the big five leagues in Europe coming into February, I mean, I see absolutely zero reason, especially because we're going to have a bigger squad in March. I see no reason why he, should, he won't be in the squad in March. And I'm excited to see him because from what I understand of him and having seen bits and bobs of him, He's very technically gifted. He's very two-footed as well. So I think if you threw him on the right-hand side, I think he could do just fine. That's that's what is going massively in his favour, in my opinion, the fact that he's comfortable on his right foot. It's it's going to be very hard for anyone to break into the left-back mould for Scotland over the next eight to ten years or so. Yeah. But although we said Stephen O'Donnell has um, taken control of the right-back jersey, Ben's mentioned he's, he may be without a club for a month or so in January if he's hanging around for a call from his agent or, or a suitor. If Hickey is kicking on over in, in Italy, mm-hmm. um, I think that that certainly shoves him up the pecking order. Next to Hickey at the moment, though, for waiting by the phone for me is Greg Taylor. I think it will be a case of injuries that will only see him be involved at the Euros. Yeah, I think I think certainly when I was pulling my sort of twenty-three man draft squads together, Greg Taylor was the one who was missing out because of Kieran Tierney's flexibility of being able to cover the both positions. I just think I don't think there's a space for Greg Taylor in this squad, unfortunately. And um, you're right, unless there's an injury to Andy Robertson. See, Ben, poor Greg Taylor. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think. He's got two absolutely world-class left-backs in front of him. So he's just I think he's just finding himself unlucky that he's come through at this point. I think he'll get a chance. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see him making the years. I can't see us carrying three left-backs. Um, I just can't. I just can't see it. I think there'll be, there'll be too much need for players in other positions to, to do that. I'm sending Paul McGinn on holiday. He was called up recently as a as a standby right back can't see him being involved guys I think that's harsh I think I'd have him by the phone I, he's had he's had a really good season for him so far who it pains me to say I've had a good season so far so I, I would have him by the phone I, I don't think he's I don't think he's a bad backup if if we really needed someone you know if Hibs end up finishing third or fourth in the in the premiership and he's their right back for the entire campaign I think it would be harsh not to have him as an option. Um, if you're looking at O'Donnell, who's obviously playing at Motherwell until January, um, I, I would probably have McGinn. I'd have him by the phone. Gordon? Yeah, fair enough. Um, and I think, I think I'm probably sending uh, Ryan Fredericks, the West Ham right back, on his holidays, unless he so chooses to make himself available for selection, which you never know. I mean, this is the kind of exciting thing that now we've got the carrot of Euro 2020. A squad uh, to dangle in front of some of these players. It'll be fascinating to see if anybody wants to make themselves available. 
a lot of people, and I'm sure some people listening to this podcast will will not like that. They'll they'll not want people just jumping at the chance to play for Scotland because we've qualified for the Euros. You feel that there should be something within you that wants to do it anyway. Does that come into play for you? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, I think I always I, I'm I'm always going to assess these things on a case by case basis. You know, I feel like. You know, we've talked about tiresome debates in the past. I think the debate about eligibility is one of the most tiresome debates that goes on in the Dart Army. Um, you get some people who say that you must have been born within the within the borders of Scotland to play for Scotland, but that would then rule you out of guys like Kieran Tierney, who was born on the Isle of Man, or Sean Maloney, who was born in Malaysia. And like, are you really saying that you don't want those guys' services playing for your country? Of course you do. Um, I think I think as well. You know, we're a small nation. You can't just rule out. You can't make you can't make the the playing pool as small as possible. You know, you have to make it as big as possible, and then make decisions on a case by case basis. Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty of central midfield. There there are so many names here that the list that I've written down <laughs> is, is crazy. Uh, just out of interest, before we we list the names, how many centre mids do you both have on the plane? I've got five. <laughs> um, I've got four, but one of them could be as much listed as a forward, as a midfielder. Okay, uh, we'll come to you then first, Ben. Who are your five? So I've got John McGowan, Ryan Jack, McGregor, Ryan Christie, and Armstrong, who I feel might be your surprise forward, Gordon. No, actually, um, Ryan Christie was the player that I was more thinking about in terms of could be listed as a forward because he played alongside Dykes recently. Yeah. Um, but no, I've got the exact same. Um, I've just got, I don't have Armstrong on the plane, not quite yet. Ben, I have the, the same five as you. I feel that if those five are fit, they are as good as they're um, taking off from Paisley and, and landing again and Paisley uh, on the plane. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel yeah, I feel that if those five stay fit, they are they are in Steve Clark's immediate plans. Um, Gordon, you don't have Stuart Armstrong on the plane. No, I don't. But I think I think that's just as much as that. The the players that I've selected on the plane are guys who have who have absolutely proven their importance to this Scotland team in recent matches, and that is why they are undroppable definitely in the squad. And for me, Stuart Armstrong hasn't quite done that yet. As much as I love him as a player, I think he's fantastic at what he does. He's a different kind of midfielder among the ones that we might discuss. He's He brings a great range of passing, finishing, scoring. He's doing really well at a team that are flying up the Premier League. He just hasn't quite been able to get a run of games for Scotland yet and be impressive for Scotland. Like I'm not sure about that. Has, uh, I don't know. Tail end of World Cup 2018, he came in and really made a difference against Slovenia. Uh, oh, he did, yeah. Oh, I mean, those, those were his first few yeah, caps. I mean, that was, yeah. that was three years Lithuania, ago. Lithuania, well, England, let's not go there. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> the Slovakia game as well. I'm not sure actually if he played in that one. But the Slovenia one, his debut was sensational. I think he put a wee run together after that, but okay, fair enough. Um, so Armstrong's in the departure lounge for you. Um, is he alongside Kenny McLean by any chance? He is, yep. He's got Kenny McLean sitting on one side of him and he's got John Fleck sitting on the other side of him. I mean, as, as, as guys look they, that have been involved in squads recently, they have played. Obviously, Kenny McLean's had some pretty high-profile good moments for Scotland. But, you know, for me, I, I, I just don't have them quite guaranteed on the plane yet. 
that their places aren't ever so slightly up for grabs. Ben, how do McLean and Flex sit in your pecking order? They are similarly in the departure lounge, just for exactly the same reason. You know, I think they're good, tidy centre mids, but I've not really seen either really dominate a game for Scotland. I think McLean's probably marginally closer because he's proven under, you know, the the biggest of pressures that he can hold his nerve uh, in those penalty shootouts. Um, it'd be pretty harsh for him to not actually go now, having scored scored the, the penalties that got us there. But you can't have that sentimentality, you know. I think he's really got to prove, you know, that he's that he's he deserves to be there for what he can do over the course of a ninety minutes. Um, the other player that I've got sat next to him on the departure lounge is Billy Gilmore, who I feel like might spark a little bit of interest. Um, you know, he's playing in the Champions. I've been hesitant to get on the Gilmore hype train because, you know, we've seen it happen so many times. Okay, yeah, he's gone to Chelsea. Brilliant. Um, will he play? Islam Farouz was the, the last one. But Gilmore is proving that he has got the talent. You know, he's playing in Champions League games now um, and he does not look out of place at all. So he's not on the plane for me. Obviously, he's never even played for us yet. But... I would be very surprised if he didn't make the squad for March and I would really hope that he gets a chance because to me he looks like a Tierney type that just is not afraid of getting on the ball doesn't matter who he's playing doesn't matter you know and he's always willing to try try things and as a wild card sort of centre mid if we need to change a game if we need someone to pick a hole I think he could be the guy You make a very convincing argument Ben I think that if Gilmore uh, is in the squad for the March qualifiers, I think that straight away bumps him up to departure lounge. At the moment, I'm just a bit hesitant, Gordon. You're nodding your head just because he's coming back to fitness. Uh, the January transfer window's coming up. Chelsea have said they've got no plans to loan him out, which actually did surprise me. Um, I think that he needs to get more than... 10 and 15 minutes off the bench here and there although I do accept and acknowledge he's an exceptionally talented player who would probably make a difference to our midfield Yeah, I mean, I was quite similar to Ben, I I was very reluctant to get too carried away with Billy Gilmore, especially last season because Chelsea were in such a strange position last season, you know, they had the transfer ban, they were really relying on young players but they were really forced into that situation and you certainly feared that come the summer they'd spend loads of money and he would just suddenly go tumbling down the pecking order at Chelsea and he would never get a sniff again but that hasn't happened obviously he got an injury that came out of kind of difficult time for him but he does seem to have come back and you listen to Frank Lampard speak about him and he speaks so highly of Billy Gilmore I mean let's bear in mind look let's not put too much pressure on him I mean I'm just looking at his his date of birth there he's going to turn 20 years old three days before we play uh the, the opening game of Euro 2020. So he'll only be 20. He's 19 right now. I mean, but then I'm, I, I, I can't help but get excited about him. You know, you watch these highlights videos that people put together, and I think something that really impresses me about him is that whenever he takes the ball in, no matter where he is on the pitch, his first touch is always into space. And that just shows such incredible tactical and spatial awareness of how the game works that. He always, he's a player, you know, a bit like when you used to watch Spain's team of 2006 to 2010, that those players would always take the ball in and they just they always looked like they were never troubled, they were never hassled, they always had so much time on the ball 
but that's because they knew where to take their touches and Billy Gilmore can do that and I don't see any other Scottish midfielder who can do that and I remember I put out a tweet after he played against uh, Krasnodar in the Champions League that at this rate I see no reason why he's not making his debut against the Faroe Islands in March you know I mean why not a game like that at home against the Faroes that would seem to me is the perfect time for Billy to make his uh, make his debut at senior level shall we say by the phone but bags packed yes yes 100% but, but I, I, think, I, I think as you alluded to earlier I think he's got a massive decision to make in January I mean well, is it his decision? What if Chelsea could literally just stand in his way and say, no, we would like to utilise you to um, to give you more experience here and to help see out games when we're one or two in a lot with 15-20 to play? I think he's proven that he's at that level. That's the thing. You know, Lampard does. Lampard doesn't have any reason to say it if he doesn't believe it. You know, they've got they've got hundreds of youngsters that they can bring through if they want. You know, Gilmore's the one that he's hanging his hat on. And to me, when was the last time we had a 19-year-old that was doing that, that was going into the Champions League and getting man of the match at 19? I, I can't not get on this hype train anymore. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've tried to hold off, but I'm on it now. No, certainly, look, I, I think it'll be it'll obviously be a joint decision between the player, his family, the club, to, to what's best for him. And obviously, his club, they're looking at his long-term future in terms of the next five or six years. They're not looking at the next six months ahead to the Euros, but you'd forgive Billy for thinking that there is the Euros in six months and maybe if he were to get a loan move to say an English Championship team that's still playing at a phenomenally high level, there's plenty of teams in the English Championship that play very good football that could suit his abilities I, and then if he's playing every week, there's no, there's absolutely no reason. Not I could be making this up or maybe I've dreamt it but something is telling me I saw him linked with Crystal Palace. I'm sure that I read that Crystal Palace were, were keen. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are keen for him, you know. I could, I could be wrong on that, but something's telling me. I, I, I'm sure I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, what about? Well, just before we move on, um, I have John Fleck by the phone. I don't think he's uh, worthy of departure lounge at the moment. I don't think that he's performed well enough to justify that level of security about his place in the squad, even departure lounge. Um, and also, this involves two other players in the squad. Sheffield United are, are a gang this season, and Flex yeah. not the same, uh, not performing to the same level at the same level of, uh, with the same level of team as he was eighteen months ago. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And and like we've said so many times, I, I haven't seen enough from him in a Scotland shirt. He's one that the the club fans have always raved about, but when we've seen him play for Scotland, for me, it's not been there. And so, as you say, I think he's in the departure lounge purely because of the amount he's been in the squads lately and the fact that he has caps. But I think there's... I, I, I wouldn't say that he's on this plane. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think if he, he's, he's maybe sitting at the end of the departure lounge closer to the exit than the, <laughs> the tunnel that takes you to the plane. Put it that way. <laughs> if we're going to absolutely torture this analogy. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Ryan Gold, um, I I know that he's having a good season out there. He's, he's I think he's got three goals. His name, to be fair, to uh, either all of them or at least two of them have been penalties. And he's playing for a team that are one point off the bottom of the the league. Now, if you follow a few names, I'm sure that the listeners will be familiar with are Byron Hutchison. Uh, and forgive me, um, I just know his Twitter name is Grant Gendo. Yeah, yeah. Um, who are very keen on on Gold and. Uh, hyping him up for inclusion in at least the, the World Cup qualifiers. 
does he have a lot of work to do, or do you think he is very, very much on the radar of Clark and the, the assistants? I think, um, I think you'd, you'd, you'd certainly like to think he's on the radar. I mean, certainly. I mean, I don't mean just aware of him, but very yeah, much yeah. considering and thinking about him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as, as you said, people that certainly follow a lot more of European football than we do are speaking very highly of him this season. You know, he's, he's, he's still only 25 years old and obviously he's had his, his challenges at Sporting and I, I think I think a lot of people were quite keen to write him off when he came back and that alone spell at Hibs and it didn't really quite work out for him that he, he came back and also suddenly people were seeing him in person again and didn't seem impressed. But something seems to be clicking for him at this club that he's at now and at least he's getting settled game time so yeah I, I, by the phone for me but but I'm keeping an eye on him Ben is there a romanticism or an exaggeration about Gold's potential inclusion because he's playing abroad uh, I'm not sure for me Gold has always been like an illusion of a really good playmaker of when he when I saw him at Hibs, I just wasn't I wasn't that impressed. I was really willing him to go on and do well. Just like when he went to sport in Lisbon, I was absolutely desperate for him to do really well. I love that kind of player, that sort of playmaker. Um, I haven't I haven't seen it enough. I've I've obviously seen clips of him this season. Um, to be honest, I think there's probably better options at home, and one that I would actually probably say is David Turnbull. Um, if you're looking for a, for an all out playmaker. Um, I can see Turnbull getting a good run in the Celtic team now. I, I, I'm amazed that it's taken Lennon this long to start utilising him because he proved a, a much smaller team in Motherwell. You know, he was into double figures in goals, his assists. You know, he's so clever on the ball. For me, I would have Turnbull up higher than Gold. Um, should David Turnbull be keeping an eye on his, his calls, Gordon? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he certainly should. You know, I, I think something that we we keep coming back to with these central midfielders is that just simply because we've got so many, we can't just be picking guys based on their reputation or based on maybe how they played last time they played for Scotland. That it is probably going to come down to what their form looks like going into March, going into the Euros as well. And and Turnbull could actually be, he could actually take advantage of getting into the Celtic team at the right time. You know, now he's. He's bedding himself in now, and if he if he does stay part of that starting eleven every week for Celtic, that fight back and are fighting at the top of the league and in Scotland, there there will be a real groundswell support behind him. And as as Ben said, he's a phenomenally talented player. One man that I've kept in the by the phone list, I was tempted to push him up into the departure lounge purely because of his defensive instincts and capabilities. And we don't have really many midfielders of that mindset. They're all attacking. Um, playmaker types is Graham Shinney um, I know that Derby aren't doing so well at the moment you would expect that to change um, in the not too distant future but Shinney is probably next on the list after Ryan Jack in terms of defensively minded midfielders not, not including Billy Gilmore uh, in that bracket probably yeah but un- un- unless you then want to consider say Scott McTominay as being a backup for that kind of position from yep, already fair. within the squad. Fair. Ben Graham, Shinny, um, anywhere near contention as far as you're concerned? I've not seen enough of him this season, to be honest. Um, I, I would probably, you would have him as an option, especially, say, if Jack Touchwood, obviously this doesn't happen, but if he got a long-term injury and we really had to look for someone to fill that gap, 
But for me, if Jack is fit, then you know we can hang our hat on him for the group stage at the at the Euros, no problem. A couple of players that I, I don't think we we need to consider or, or talking about, not just now anyway, are McCrory and Ferguson up in Aberdeen. I think there's just simply too many ahead of them in the queue, Gordon. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Probably, probably start to look at holiday brochures. Um, Lewis Morgan as well. Probably put him in that bracket too. Yeah. Also, I've noted down Ben Liam Henderson in the holiday brochure bracket, and also someone tweeted me, I think, asking about Tom Kearney. Uh, for me, not a consideration. Under uh, my impression is that he's not interested. Yeah, and I, I kind of file that under the Fleck um, mould as well. You know, we were raved about, said that he was going to absolutely set the world on fire, and he looked totally out of his depth um, when we saw him in a Scotland shirt. So I'm not fussed about Kenny getting anywhere near the plane. Okay, so it's an interesting one then. We've got each four or five um, players that we think are guaranteed centre mids on the plane, and then Kenny McLean is probably the, the next one and then judging from the conversation here we probably think that Gilmore is the next one in contention he's ahead of people like Fleck and Shinny and Ross McCrory for a potential inclusion at centre mid and we will have a better idea of just how highly Clark does or doesn't rate him uh, when the when the March fixtures come around. Let's move on to the attackers now I, <laughs> I felt like I could have written forever um, on the by the phone and holiday list here. Um, up front, Gordon, you, you said that you would consider Christie as, as more of a striker rather than a central midfielder. Um, I have him in, in central midfield and I've got two on the plane, Lyndon Dykes and Ryan Fraser. Do you think both of them, if fit, are guaranteed to go? Yes, I, th- I think they probably are. I mean, when I when I put this um, list together, uh, I only selected the Lyndon Dykes as my only forward currently on the plane. But now that Ryan Fraser is is back, he's fit, he's gotten over whatever injury problem it was that kept him out of the last Scotland games. He played for Newcastle last night. He set up one of their goals in their five two loss against Leeds. So yeah, I, th- I think certainly Fraser, Fraser and Dykes, if fit, they're going hundred percent. Benjamin. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Dykes and Fraser. Dykes has proven just how important he is. And I think Fraser's got that live wire sort of creative streak and just his pace as well. I think I think they worked really well together. I could see that being the, the first choice front two if they're both fit. And like you, Andy, there's just so many names in the departure lounge and by the phone um, that just haven't done enough to bag that place. But it's just going to totally come down to the form now for me over the next few months. Departure Lounge um, is is still fairly quiet as, as far as I'm concerned. There, there are so many players by the phone for me. Ollie McBurney, now for reasons similar to, to Fleck, I know that we have been supporters of Ollie McBurney and sympathisers with Ollie McBurney on this podcast. We've always been able to point to somewhat steady club form We've been able to say that, yes, he's not done it for Scotland yet, but he's performing for a team that are uh, causing upsets and are sitting very nicely in the Premier League. He's scored against some big clubs, uh, Tottenham, Leicester, uh, Chelsea last season and a few more. Um, It felt like he was onto something good down there, Ollie McBurney, 
Sheffield United have tailed off. They've, they've had the worst start in English top flight history since the 30s, I think it is. No wins this season. McBurney's got one goal. Um, just how much longer can we keep backing up Gordon um, for a place on the plane? It, it, it's getting harder and harder. I mean, you're right, Sheffield United, every single week you think they're going to turn it around. They're going to start turning it around. They're going to keep clean sheets like they did last season. They're going to upset somebody, and they just don't, and they're just not picking up results, and they're currently getting beaten by Manchester United as we speak. And I think I think he's still in the departure lounge for me because I think just because he's been in so many squads recently, he will get the first look. He will get the first chance of being in this squad. But unless he does start picking up some form, I think his place is very, very much at threat. Um, for me in the departure lounge, I've got... I mean, I've, I've still got Ryan Fraser there, but I think he's pretty much on the plane. Um, I've got Lee Griffiths sitting there, again, as somebody who I'm thinking is going to be the first look option. And then I've also got James Forrest as well, because I think we're going to need options to change systems. I think, you know, we spoke in the last uh, last podcast when we were talking about the two, uh, the two Nations League games that we lost, that when we went behind in those games, we didn't really have a plan B. So I think that Clark will be keen to have two shapes and two systems prepared and if we want to go to a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 however you look at it we're going to need some wide players and obviously Fraser's played out wide Christie's played out wide that is where I, I see Forrest being because I don't know about you guys but I'm not entirely sure where Forrest would fit into the system that we've been playing in recent games because I certainly don't really want to see him playing at right wing back Ben James Forrest is, is quite an interesting one at the moment it, he's been injured for a while for Celtic it's almost kind of out of sight, out of mind, because he's, he's not been uh, in the news as needing a return from his injury, as far as I'm aware. Um, when we're talking, when we've been talking about important forwards for Scotland recently, his name's not really getting mentioned. He's being muted more as a potential right wing back, which for me is is a no go. Um, is he better off in the departure lounge as one of the attacking options, or even further back than that by the phone for you? He's he's right bang in the middle. He's right literally in the middle of my two lists, so I'm not sure which one I've actually put him in. So I'll say I think he's by the phone because I think we've got so many options. Um, as Gordon alluded to, I just don't think this system fits him. I, I, I can totally understand the argument for him because his numbers for Celtic have been incredible. And I, I do think that Celtic's dip uh, this season has been linked to him missing because he's so important as an outlet in their system. But I just don't see how that system links up with Clark's. Maybe as Gordon's saying, you know, if you were going to switch to a 4-3-3, if we were behind, he could maybe come on as one of the wingers. And he, he is a very, very tricky winger. Um, so I would probably have him in the departure lounge, I would say. And I've got McBurney in the departure lounge as well. I think it's quite harsh to judge McBurney on Sheffield's form because they're doing so badly. I still... I look at it as if he was playing for a Scottish Premiership team, he would be into double figures by now. You know, you are judging him in a totally different league. Yeah, It's very harsh to judge his scoring in the Premier League in a very shit team compared to if he was, if he was playing for Hibs or if he was playing for Aberdeen and getting four or five chances a game. I'm convinced he would be into double figures by now. You know, well, you know he, that's, he's, that's... he's playing at a different level. That's, that's, a, that's a very fair point, um, and it, it leads me actually on to someone else. I'll just make a quick point first. Though. I think that is the kind of striker McBurney is. I remember 
Um, reading a stat about Nikita Jelovic, he scored something like 37 or 38 goals for Rangers, and 34 or 35 of them were what first-time finishes in the box. That's yeah. the sort of player that I think Colin McBurney needs to be um, for us. Um, that's, now, that's when he got the majority of his goals for Swansea. He was playing at the front of a 4-3-3. He was getting a lot of crosses, and he was finishing those chances. And that is obviously not the system that he's playing in at the moment. And it's actually not the system that Clark is playing. Because when we play with the one up front, he is more of a link man. He's more coming in and linking everyone else in. So it maybe doesn't suit McBurney as much. But I still think for talent alone, I would still have him in the departure lounge. Yeah, okay. And, and, and that, I think, I think you hit on such a good point there, Ben. And, and that's why it always frustrates me when you hear people saying, well, let's just get Nisbet in the squad. Let's just get Shankland in the squad because they've scored 10, 15 goals in the Scottish Premiership. And it's no comparison to scoring goals in the English, English Premier League, and we need to bear that in mind. I would, I would like to put the buffers on the Nisbet hype train, if you'll indulge yeah, me a second, guys, please. Um, look, I know that he's had a good start to the season. There were people calling for him to be included in the squad for the, the Nations League just there, which it's, it's a non-starter for me at the moment. I can understand why he's on everyone's lips, because his numbers look good, but there's some context here, right? So, Nisbet scored a hat-trick against Livy earlier on in the season in an absolute rout for Hibs, OK? Fair play. Since then, he scored against Celtic, which was a very clinical finish, but the only other teams he scored against are St Mirren, Ackies and Cove Rangers. Now, it's not like Nisbet is winning points for Hibs, scoring winners against teams um, like Rangers or Aberdeen or who else is propping up the end of the table? Motherwell uh, on their day. I mean, he scored a good goal against Celtic, and it was a great goal, to be fair. But I don't think that what Nisbet has done so far merits inclusion uh, in the, the World Cup qualifying uh, squad at the moment. I know that Michael Stewart's a big advocate for him on sports scene. And I think that Nisbet is decent, but at this level for just now, um, I think that what we can say about Lauren Shankland is, though, that Nisbet's um, at least scoring goals in the Scottish Premiership. Lauren Shankland, he scored one screamer earlier this season. I think it might have been against St Mirren, Ben, is that right, at Tanadice? It was, yeah, yeah it was a beautiful yeah. volley. Yeah. Um, but um, aside from that, Shankland hasn't really kicked on at all since the United got promoted. Um, so, so for me, Kevin Nisbet, although he's got a decent goal return so far for Hibs this season, uh, I, I would I would have him nearer booking a holiday than the departure lounge, to be honest. Yeah, I think I'd have him by the phone. It was a really, really good finish against Celtic. That was the one goal that I thought, right, OK, that's a proper quality striker's finish. A lot, the of the, a lot of them have been tap-ins against, like the one against Ackies at the weekend, the one against uh, uh, Levy, his goal against Kelly was a penalty. Yeah, he's a fox-in-the-box kind of striker and, you know, that, that may well come into play further down the line for Scotland and, you know, he's a young guy, hopefully he's going to kick on, he's going to keep improving but for me, I would not have him in a departure lounge yet, he's got a long way to go before he's really into that reckoning for me Gordon? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair enough, you know, I know I said earlier about, you know we can look at players now in terms of how they might fit into our tactical system I think central striker is often the, can be the exception to that rule but if they are on form and they are scoring goals they're more likely to score a goal to continue scoring goals because that's just how the, the confidence of a striker seems to work but I'll remind you all that we have been down this track before with um, my, the previous apple of my eye um, Jordan Rhodes when he was absolutely 
banging goals in for Huddersfield and I got very, very excited that he was going to be the answer to all of Scotland's striking prayers and that did not really work out. I was with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we finally had a number nine. Ghosts of girlfriends passed. Remember, remember the whole of Hamden singing Take Me Home Jordan Rhodes against uh, the qualifier with Wales. I'm sure it was the one where yeah. um, they beat us 2 1, yeah. And uh, yeah, Rhodes, Rhodes didn't actually have too bad a record. I think he had three goals in 15 or 16 caps, which is not terrible, although two of them came in the one game, I'm sure, um, against Australia, I want to say. Could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, Rhodes should have been far better than he was for us. Um, so yeah, so on the, on the in the departure lounge, sorry, all three of us have listed McBurney and Griffiths. Is that right? Yeah, Griffiths, again... Could do with a wee bit more form, but I think he's miles ahead in his bit in terms of yeah. the experience he has, the quality he has. You'll um, get the first choice to claim that spot, I think. I'd say so. I've well, got Stephen Naismith by the phone if it was totally... I, I still think Naismith has a lot to offer in terms of experience. He plays that hold-up um, striker role quite well, and he's got a good goal return. So I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be upset to see Naismith named, but I can't see it unless he has an absolutely remarkable season in the championship. Okay, um, I would like to douse the flames of the Fraser Hornby fire, please. Um, well, that's interesting. Uh, I think that, well, actually, have I used that term wrong, Ben? I thought douse went, meant put out a flat of fire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were saying that you weren't impressed. Where I've yeah, actually, yeah, sorry. I've yeah, that, really... No, that, that is right. No, Fraser Hornby's nowhere near it for me. Um, I know that he's signed for a team who are playing at a good level over in France, but he's not one of the main picks. I heard Stuart Cosgrove on off the ball not too long ago. I think it was after the, the Nations League uh, games against uh, Slovakia and Israel. Um what he was saying, get Hornby in the team now, in the team, um, not just the squad. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing driving down the, the M77. Now, I, had, I, did, I did a bit of digging um, with Hornby's stats. He's got 10 goals and 16 caps for the under-21s. Okay, um, that's a really good record in the face of it. That includes hat-trick against San Marino and a hat-trick against Andorra. Um, he did score a double against Holland, which I remember watching the highlights of that. That was, that was really impressive. Um, but Hornby's not... And he might go on to have a, a really good career and, and get caps for Scotland and, and be, a, be a good option, but he's not the, the striking messiah that I think some people believe he might be because he's got some good numbers for the under-21s. What do you think? Not 100%, 100% no, definitely not. Uh, for me, I probably shouldn't even be in the conversation. I think the only reason people are speaking about Fraser Hornby is because his name is not Ollie McBurney. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got 17-odd first-team competitive appearances at senior level in for, his, for clubs, and now he's he's played in Belgium, and now he's in France. I mean, he could play in the future, for sure, but he, nowhere, he's, he's playing nowhere near enough club-team football and doing well enough to be even considered for the, for the first team. Not yet. Two, two people that I do have waiting by the phone are Johnny Russell and Matt Phillips. Now, Matt Phillips... Has been, or was around the Scotland squad for quite a while. Gordon, you pointed out to me recently that Clark actually started him against Belgium um, in one of his first games in charge. I'd forgotten all about that. Um, he's playing fairly regularly for West Brom at the moment. Now, this 
I know they're having a bad season and what I've just said may fly in the face of what I said about Fleck and McBurney and Ollie Burke that just because you're playing at a good level shouldn't automatically include you. You have to be doing well. But is he someone that's worth keeping an eye on should his form considerably pick up and West Brom maybe shoot up the league? Yeah, look, I think anybody who's playing in the, in the English Premier League at, that, at the highest of high levels, we have to keep an eye on. Um, and again, I think Matt Phillips, he brings a sort of tactical flexibility that he's played sort of as a central striker for Scotland a couple of times. I think he scored, I think his only goal for Scotland against Hungary in a friendly for us. Um, but he can also play wide as well as a more traditional winger, so he brings that option. I, I would say Matt Phillips, he's, he's one name among many names for me that's sitting by the phone, and I'd put him alongside guys like, like Cam Patterson, like Eamon Brophy, like Johnny Russell, like Mikey Johnson, like Ollie Burke. There's just a morass of players out there, and I think when you look at the squad that we have, we've got so many now midfielders that can maybe fill that role as that second striker alongside a Lyndon Dykes that I don't think will actually take too many traditional centre-forwards as such. Ben, is there anyone who is on your by-the-phone list that you expect or hope could maybe find themselves in the departure lounge come the spring? No, I th- to be honest, I think we kind of covered them. I think Burke and Phillips are kind of in that that sort of same similar position. I think Clark will like Phillips. He's very a uh, physical player and he's quick, but he can play that hold-up, play that link-up striker. So I think he'll, he'll see him as a potential, you know, um, player to fill that role um, I think Patterson's an interesting one because he can also play um, in a few different positions he could basically have, everywhere except for goalkeeper I think <laughs> uh, exactly so I often find that at a tournament teams will sometimes take a sort of utility player that can mm, maybe fill in yeah. several roles and for me Patterson he is a good footballer he's tremendous in the air and he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a real physical presence so I could. I think he's an outside shout to get in that sort of utility role, where the fact that he can play so many positions really plays into his favour. Well, if this if the squad size is increased from twenty three to twenty five or six, then we may see one of these names. We're saying that if Dykes and Fraser are pretty much certainties, there may only be one other spot up for grabs. Could it go to Griffiths, McBurney, Forrest, or one of the names that we've listed as by the phone? But should another space become available? then one of those guys may, may indeed end up finding themselves in contention, or real contention for, for a place, including Johnny Russell, who we didn't even get to talk about there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think one as well that we'll hopefully keep an eye on is, um, is Mikey Johnson as well, Celtic. You know, I mean, obviously he's been injured for quite a while, but I believe he's very much on the on the comeback trail now, and he seemed to be very highly spoke of, spoken of um, at Celtic last season. So, yeah, another one to look out for. Brilliant. Well, let's let's keep these sheets handy then, and we can refer back to them um, in the mid middle of January, towards the end of January, and we'll just keep doing it on a monthly basis. Who's impressing? Who's really putting themselves in with a shout? Injuries may play a part as well. For example, if it comes to uh, January or February, and all of a sudden Ryan Jack and John McGinn are out for two or three months, then you've got people like Billy Gilmore and maybe John Fleck or uh, Ryan Gold coming into the, the system. You know. Yeah, yep. 100%. And, and, and again, I, I think that, I think the fact that we've got three games in March, including a home game against the Faroe Islands, if there's any time to be trying something new, trying someone new, giving someone a, a, a simple enough debut, that's when it's going to happen. So, yeah, it's all Absolutely. for now. 
really well i hope you enjoyed playing along at home um so we'll keep doing this again uh over and over in our heads and then we'll bring it to you in audio form uh month by month towards the euros gordon ben pleasure as always thanks Thanks very much guys merry christmas yes you too Podcast Network.